want to encourage you now to go with me to the Lord in prayer as we consider his word for this morning, the quest. Gracious Father, a loving Lord, that song is so indicative of what each one of us is in need of, a God who holds us to keep us safe. The world is battered by storms of many varying descriptions, and the church is, and the ministers are. But Lord, in the storm that in so many ways is demonically motivated, hold us and carry us through the storm. Now as we consider the quest, we pray that you'll speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. It was called the Gold Rush, the California Gold Rush, which lasted from 1848 until 1855. At its peak in 1849, is when the gold rush reached its apex. Studying about this gold rush, many people wonder what impact it brought to the nation. When you study the history of it, at one point, the more than 300,000 people flooded the state of California looking for gold. And the peak of the gold rush was 1849, which is where you get the phrase the San Francisco 49ers because of the 1849 gold rush peak. People came looking for gold, scouring the hills and the valleys of the Northern California plains. The upside of the gold rush was gold began to flood the American economy and it accelerated California to the position to be considered as a state. But the downside of the gold rush was Native American populations declined from disease, starvation, and also something called the California Genocide. You see, the California Genocide claimed the lives of more than 16,000 Native Americans as people began to literally wipe them out because many of them lived on the lands where these gold mining projects continued. You find many villages sprung up during that time, many of them still last today, where you can see the remnants remaining of the gold rush of the 1840s. You also find many abandoned mines that litter the mountainsides in the back country of California, a dim reminder of the gold rush of the 1800s. The quest for gold revealed the best and worst of America during the mid-1800s. By 1869, just to back history of it, the quest for gold resulted in the building of railroads from California to the eastern United States. Gold mining was at its peak. It is estimated that the gold found during this time was worth upwards of tens of billions of dollars in today's dollars. Can you imagine? Billions of dollars today. The result was great wealth for few, but by the decline of the gold rush, many that participated in the gold rush saw no change in their economic status. In other words, they were just as poor afterwards as they were before. And the population in California diminished from more than 300,000 to as low as 30,000 people because people left 
when they couldn't find any more gold. But what I learned from this was something that was very interesting. During the gold rush, many people mistook glistening rocks for gold only to realize another phrase was born, fool's gold. Which brings me to my transition. The world is on a quest for fool's gold. Searching for things that affect no change in their spiritual standing before God. But the unfortunate news is many Christians today are on a quest with parallel results, searching for things that bring no change in their spiritual standing before God. Many people are captured by the paraphernalia of Christianity. And if you're not careful, it can draw you in. What is the paraphernalia of Christianity? The feeling that comes with a worship style and worship music and worship atmosphere that makes you feel Christian but brings absolutely no change. I've learned as, I've, as I'm getting older, there was a time that so many things that I now look back as the paraphernalia of Christianity meant a lot to me. But I look back on it now and realize after being exposed to the music industry for so many years and being in the, the movies, the, 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 the studios where the music was recorded, being on the many stages and the many television networks, realizing that what is often seen as the status of God's presence is in fact no more than the presence of a gift, which does not necessarily say that the life communicating that gift is being changed in a spiritual way. So be careful not to get pulled in by the paraphernalia of Christianity, the things that make you feel good but affects no change in our lives. You see, it is the paraphernalia of Christianity that motivated my message this morning because Jesus documents the cases of those that are affected by the paraphernalia. We find our scripture reading for today in Luke chapter 13, beginning with verse 6. Jesus is talking about the real effect he's looking for. Dr. Luke writes, He also spoke this parable, that is, Jesus did. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. This is an amazing story. I want you to pay attention as we begin to dive over into 2023. Because what Jesus was looking for in his day, he's still looking for today. You know, the quest. That's what the quest is all about. Why would Jesus come from this perfect environment to the sin-cursed earth just to save us? He came on a mission to save us. But even deeper than that, on a quest to change us. Not just to save us. To save us from sin is something that divinity does. But the quest to change us. He came to reveal fruits while the Christian world today is infatuated by gifts. Quite a different story. Many are falling prey to the paraphernalia. But as you look at the story today, you'll find that Jesus knows something is miss missing because he came looking for fruits the Bible says, sadly, and he found none. So I want to ask the question today, as we begin to step over into 2023, 
If Jesus came looking into your life, would he find gifts or would he find fruit? It's good if he found both. But if he only found gifts, the same could be said about us. He came seeking fruit and he found none. What is he looking for? Christians that have love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, patience, really the stamp that something is happening in us. You see, the emphasis is so often placed on the work done for Christ, but so little emphasis is placed on the work that is done by Christ. I don't want to work for Christ. I want Christ to work in me. I don't want to work, I don't want everybody just to see what I've done for him, but the world needs to see what Christ has done for us. How can he change us? How has he changed us? Because the greatest evidence that Christianity really works is not in our singing, our, not even in our preaching, not even in our presentations, but in a life transformed, not just a life that has been informed. A life that has been changed, not just a person joining a church. This morning, I did a little test in our Sabbath school room. Uh, we put up on the screen, because you know, as Seventh-day Adventists, we say, well, most of the Christian world doesn't keep the Sabbath. Do you realize that there are almost 600 other denominations that keep the Sabbath? 600 other churches that keep the Sabbath? But there's something missing. You see, it's not just about the commandments of God, but it's also the testimony of Jesus Christ. So you find churches that keep the Sabbath but still believe that you die and go to heaven. They keep the Sabbath, but they still believe in the secret rapture. They keep the Sabbath, but there are other things that they're off kilter scripturally from. The devil knows that if he can redirect us and say, well, all you've got to be is a Sabbath keeper to be saved then we are caught in the paraphernalia of Christianity. So don't boast about your Sabbath keeping or about your diet or about the fact that you have a 28 fundamental belief that's fully supported by the Bible because not even any of those things can save us. Jesus came on a mission not only to save us, but he came on a mission to change us. So until we are transformed from natural to spiritual, we are not prepared to be translated from earth to heaven. What am I saying? We're not going into heaven in a character that caused Lucifer to, Lucifer to be kicked out of heaven. Now, our angels today, I'd, I'd say to the Lord, you really want them to be up here? I mean, think about it. Some of the stuff we struggle with. Some of the things we struggle with. Can you imagine angels looking at our, eye, in our lives, our own personal angels saying, Lord, I know what happened this week. You really want him to be up here? But it's so good to know that he who has begun a good work in us will complete it. So this morning, I want to take you on a quest to look at the difference between the physical changes that God will affect and the spiritual changes that Jesus is going to affect. One is done without any help from us, but the other one cannot be done without help from us. The Apostle Paul explains the changes 
that are going to take place at the second coming. As, I'm, as I've been focusing on this topic for the last few years, it's becoming more and more apparent to me that um, for some time, some of us get caught up in, excuse me if I say it, again, and apply it in this way, fool's goal. Let me, let me just be very clear about what I'm saying. What is fool's goal as it relates to Seventh-day Adventist? Now, let me say it correctly, because I don't want you to misunderstand and, and think that I'm applying these things as unnecessary. But let me put it together. Let us not put the cart before the horse. Let me use the Jewish nation as an example. They had everything that God made available to them. The right day, the right diet, the right understanding of the sanctuary, the right understanding of the ceremonial system, but they got caught up in, into all of that. They were so dedicated to all of that that when Jesus came to transform them, they didn't even recognize who he was. So, so I want to be able to say when Jesus comes, as Isaiah 25, 9, I want to be able to say, Lo, this is my God, I have waited for him. And he will save me. As I was talking to this young man on the plane this week, my wife and I had a conversation with a gentleman. I want to just reveal the story, just little pieces here and there. On the way back from Florida, we sat next to this young, boisterous man, boy, in his 50s. And uh, he said he's in his 50s. But he was so excited about his faith in Christ and he was unashamed to share with us uh, about his dedication to the Lord. And, and my wife and he started a conversation and it kind of went this way. You know, I could, eat any, I could eat anything. God approved everything in the vision of Peter. I could eat anything now. And because um, God cleaned everything up in the vision of Peter, you know. Anything common or unclean, God just got rid of that and everything is available to be eaten. And my wife kept trying to wake me up. I was tired, so I was by the window and I was, and she kept turning towards me and she finally woke me up and like, like, went like that. And I started having a conversation with this guy. It was really interesting. He was on fire for the Lord. He knew his Bible. He was just, what, what, what many of us need to be, just unashamed when you sit next to somebody, talk to them about Jesus. He was unashamed to do that. And my wife and he were just back and forth. And my wife was saying, oh, he's not, he misunderstands what happened in Peter's vision. Would you clear it up? <laughs> and so I went back to him and I said, now, do you really believe we could eat anything? And we got to talking about that. I'm not going to spend the time because it was a lengthy conversation. But I said, well, let's go back. Let's go back. I said, because this whole thing about eating anything, do you really believe we could eat anything? And I started getting gross. Like, do you think God wants us to eat rats? And I, he, nah, you, and so he started getting it, and I said, but he said, but it was just a Jewish thing. I said, ah, but what about the flood? How many did God invite on the ark of the animals? Remember the seven, seven, he said, of the clean, and two by two of the unclean. Remember that? Yeah. Clean for what and unclean, and I explained that, and he started seeing it. 
And then in the course of our conversation, it took on so many avenues, but he started seeing that, no, you just can't eat anything. And he said, this was a God appointment. I'm learning stuff. He said, normally I'm teaching, but I'm learning today. <laughs> and it was so interesting that he was locked in and he started learning more and more. And, I said, and then he said, once saved, always saved. I said, do you think that once you make up your mind to follow God, you can't change your mind? And I showed him the Bible, the scriptures in the Bible and said, well, that's true. So why is it that people believe that? I said, because the Christian world has left out sanctification. They go from saved, do anything you want, and you're in the kingdom. So we kept, and it was clear about a number of other things we talked about, but he said, you know, and I talked about the impact of unclean foods and on the body, and I said, I'm in my 60s, and I don't take medication. He said, hmm, I want to be that. I want to be like that when I get there. And I said, that's what happens when you take care of your body and your mind. God wants our, I said, remember the story of Daniel, how much wiser he was? And they said, yeah. Why? Because he refused to eat the king's meat and wine, which they drank in Babylon. Yeah. So the flight attendant came by. Would you like to have anything to drink? And so Jay, I said, I like a ginger ale. My wife said, I like cran apple. We like to mix it together because they give you a whole can. We like to make a little spritzer there. <laughs> and the guy said, I like to have two Johnny Walker Reds. <laughs> and he's got two little bottles of liquor. And we, here he is talking about, you know, uh, being a Christian and serving the Lord. And I'm thinking, he said, no, I know. I'm, I'm working on getting rid of that for the new year. <laughs> but until then, I got to just, you know, I got a couple more left. And I got, you know, you know, got about seven more days left in the new year. <laughs> and I said, we just talked about this. Now, I would have said to the flight attendant, nah, just give me some uh, ice water. But he, he still had his two bottles of alcohol. And, and right after he drank his two bottles of alcohol, he said, let me pray for you. Let me pray for you. <laughs> I'm thinking, this is, I'm saying, this is Christianity. I'm thinking to myself, this is Christianity? He's talking about how messed up the world is and how much it is important for Christians to live that life. Hebron, <laughs> he's drinking didn't just get one Johnny Walker, he got two. And uh, he poured in there and drank his two Johnny Walkers. He says, now I'm working on getting rid of that. Stuff. But, you know, if you got any more information, send it to me. And I said, believe me, I'll be sending you some information. <laughs> but what's amazing to me is that Christians go from I'm saved to I'm changed. So they go from this saving, God saved me, I can live however I want, do whatever I want, and when Jesus comes back, I don't need this body, he's going to get rid of it. So they abuse it in the middle time. In the middle time. They abuse it way, so many ways. They abuse it morally, they abuse it dietarily, they abuse it unhealthily, they put anything in it, they do anything to it. That's why you see Christians nowadays, you can go to some Christian churches, and they got on more jewelry and more holes in their ears than people in the world and tattoos and all that stuff because they don't think of the body as being vitally important to God. In a physical sense and in a spiritual sense, they don't believe in sanctification. So I could live however. Now they put aside certain things, but generally speaking, as this young man, as he communicated, he said, well, you know, that's right. Why do we do this and why do we do that? I said, because the Christian world has forgotten about sanctification. So the Apostle Paul dealing with this what we're going to do this morning is we're going to talk about the changes that are made at the second coming of Christ and the changes that are made before the second coming of Christ. Because 
the way that you go in the grave, the character that you take in the grave is the character that you're going to come out of the grave with. You ain't going and mean and cussing people out and coming out like a saint. If you can't live that Christian life now by the power of Christ, you're going to come out and you're not going to change your mind if you haven't been sanctified, if your life hasn't been cleaned up. That's all happening now. So the Apostle Paul took some painstaking God-led direction to lay it out before us. So let's look first at the changes that will take place at the second coming of Christ, which is what's missing in the minds of so many because they believe that once saved, live however you want, always saved. But we cannot leave out sanctification. Let's talk about the changes of the second coming of Christ. And these are questions the Apostle Paul took an entire chapter of 1 Corinthians 15 to deal with the issue of the natural versus the spiritual, the resurrection, what's going to take place. And he starts with this question. He doesn't begin with it, but I choose to start in verse 35. But someone will say, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 35, but someone will say or ask, how are the dead raised up and with what body do they come? This is so vitally important because this eliminates the idea that you die and go to heaven. Because you can't go to heaven in this kind of body. And there's no spirit that's going to heaven in another kind of body. And there's no body waiting up there for you so that your soul leaves here and goes and hangs out in that body and then comes back and gets this body. That's confusing. Why come out of the grave when you got a body waiting in heaven and you hang out in that body, then you come down to this new body? That's messed up. So the question is, how are the dead raised up and with what body do they come? So the change that happens in us is something that is revealed in God's word very clearly. And he answers the question. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 43 to 44, he's talking about the natural versus the spiritual. He says, it is sown in dishonor, meaning that's how we are. When we go in the grave, we go and all broken down with a, a body that is subject to disease and death and suffering. But he says, but it is raised in what? In glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in what? Power. It is sown a what kind of body? Natural body. It is raised a what? Spiritual body. But notice he breaks down the two. There is a natural body and there is a what? Spiritual body. Let's consider what he means by that. Because some people think there are two separate bodies, but that's not what the Bible teaches. Let's consider, let's go back to the book of Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. Let's start in the beginning. Let's understand what he means by the natural and the spiritual. In the beginning when God made humanity, we read these words, then God said, let us make man in what? Our image according to our what? according to our likeness. And he explains in verse 27 of Genesis chapter 1 what that actually meant. So God created man in his own what? Image. In the image of God, he created him male and what else? Female, he created them. Before the entrance of sin, man and woman, 
communicated two things. The character of God and the physical attributes of God. Because God formed man of the dust of the ground. He breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul or a living being. He didn't give man a soul. Man became a living soul. This divine process was what man and woman were before the fall. They looked, they exuded divine attributes and divine character. And this is what's going to be restored in the resurrection. Eden lost to Eden restored. The divine image lost in Eden is going to be restored at the second coming of Christ. Paul brings this out in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 49. And he goes back to go forward. As we have borne the image of the man of the dust. Who's the man of the dust? Adam. We shall also bear the image of the what? Heavenly man. Who's the heavenly man? Christ. So let's get this now. There's the man of the dust, which right now we all bear the image of the man of the dust. Adam is our father. But let me make a point. Jesus doesn't want to be our father in heaven. He wants to be our father when? Now. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 22, As in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. The good news is, we can be made alive in Christ now before we receive eternal life or immortality. This alive is what Jesus talked about in John 10, 10. I've come that they may have life and that they may have it more what? Abundantly. This abundant life is not abundant in goods and services and in possessions and in money and in property and in things. No, this abundant life is going from the natural to the spiritual. This transformation that changes now, and I'll bring out some quotations that are going to blow you away, but look at this. There's a misunderstanding about the changes that take place at the second coming, and the Apostle Paul not only communicated this to the Corinthians, but also to those in Philippi. Here's what he said. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21, he says, For our citizenship is where? In heaven. Let me, let me pause there. We became citizens of heaven when we accepted Jesus. Amen. Amen. That's, where our, that's, where our, that's where our citizenship was transferred. We were citizens of earth until we accepted Christ. And then he goes on and says, From which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And what is he going to do when he comes? This is what takes place at the second coming. Who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his what? Glorious body according to the working by which he is able to subdue all things. How? To himself. Meaning, this Adam body is going to be restored back to the Jesus body. Amen. Let me make it clear. That's Adam before sin. Amen. We are right now in the body of Adam after sin. 
but here's where I'm going. The amazing thing about being a Christian is you can be in Adam's body and reveal Jesus. Let me make it even clearer. The miracle of Christianity is living a spiritual life in a natural body. How do you explain people being delivered from the things that held them except for the power of Christ? Amen? How do you explain addictions being removed, immorality being swept away. How do you explain a person that was so mean that is so loving and so kind? How can the Apostle Paul even preach except he experienced the change himself? He was a persecutor and a murderer turned evangelist, teacher, and, and, and campaign manager for the righteousness of Jesus. He couldn't have done that if he was going to stay the same until Jesus got here. But he knew that I'm transformed spiritually now, but when Jesus comes back, I'll be transformed physically. How does that happen? Look at 1 Corinthians 15, verse 53. This sinful flesh that's held hostage by mortality will be freed by immortality. Here's what we've read before, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 53. For this corruptible, what's the next word? Must put on incorruption, and this mortal what? Must put on immortality. Here's the reason why you don't die and go to heaven, because you don't put on immortality until the last trumpet. You don't put on immortality when you die. You put on immortality when you are raised. The dead in Christ are raised. We come forth from the grave, and when we come forth, for this corruptible must put on. Look at those two words. Say put on. I want you to remember that because all through the sermon, I'm going to bring those two words out. Put on. We put on Adam, and we are living in the Adam body, but one day we're going to put on the glorious body of Christ. You will find out what that put on means. But what am I talking about? When we fell into sin, we put on the Adam nature. But when we step into Christ, we put on the Jesus nature, which the miracle of all miracles, Curtis, is this. I could be in Adam's body, and Jesus can be seen in my life. That's the miracle. That's something that no one can deny the power of Christianity. When a person says, what happened to you? What happened? That's not who I knew. Something, what took place in your life, Bob? How, how, how are you different? When Jesus happens, changes take place. And so these physical changes are made by God. All that I read so far, these physical changes will be made by God without any help from us. That is a divine transaction. But the change that qualifies us for that final change must take place now. So here's what, hap here's what happened to Pastor Lomacang. I was I'm always excited about the 28 fundamentals. 
But I needed a change in my own life. I needed a deeper spiritual walk with Christ in my own life. That I got so busy in the work of Christ, working for Christ, that somewhere along the way, I was feeding everybody else, but not eating myself. And when you don't feed yourself, you starve. When you starve, you get weak. And when you get weak, you do stupid stuff. So one day I got out of the kitchen, stopped feeding just y'all, and went in the kitchen for myself and started to eat. That tastes good, Jay. And it started making a difference. This is why I always say so much to those of you that are watching. I always emphasize, unless you are feeding on the Word of God, unless you are studying the Word of God, unless you are feeding yourself consistently, daily, often in prayer and Bible study, searching the Scriptures, have a devotional life, that nature cannot thrive in you. You will die. You will be the most educated person in hell. Excuse the expression. Know the 28 fundamentals, but no change in your life. And in the end, you'll say, I put all of my spiritual goal panning in the wrong direction, thinking that I could find something to bring me joy, when in fact the greatest joy is letting Christ mine my life. Get out the junk and put the righteousness of Jesus in there. And when you look at that, God has always required us to participate in our own change. He's never affected the spiritual change without our participation. Let's start with some of the Old Testament examples. Let's start with Genesis chapter 35 and verse 2. When God was calling Jacob to be sanctified and sending them to Bethel, notice what he said. You're going to see these phrases all throughout. I told you to remember the word put on and put, you'll see these coming, coming up consistently. Jacob said to his household, Genesis 35, verse 2, and Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, what's the first two words? Say it again. Put away. What have you put away in 2022? What is still left in your life that needs to be put away so that you can get ready to go to your Bethel so that God could sanctify your life? And notice what he said. Put away the foreign gods that are among you. I know that in our lives, in some of our lives, maybe more than I can even think of, there are foreign gods that need to be put away. Notice, God was not doing that for Jacob. They had to do that themselves. Then he says, purify what? Yourselves. He wasn't saying sanctify yourself. He is saying clean up your life and change what else? Your garments. Meaning, the, place, the, way you, the way you look before me is not acceptable to me. And so many people today don't want to change anything about them. They just want God to, this is, who, this is who I am. This is how I'm going to be. This is what you need to accept me as, God. I'm sorry, but this is as far as I'm going to go. You find all through the Bible, changes were always made. God always required us to participate in our change, even in the Levitical priesthood. Look at this. In Leviticus chapter 6 and verse 11, speaking about the priests, 
Then he shall take off what? His garments. Put on what? Other garments. Before he was qualified to even minister, he couldn't go into the holy temple with his garments on. He had to do what? Take them off. And look at those two words, put on other garments. So what am I saying? As we get ready for eternity, brethren, we got to look at our characters and say, i got to put off my own garment, doing life my way, treating people the way I want to treat them, loving people to the condition or the level that I want to love them. We have so many requirements in displaying Christian virtues when, in fact, when Christ is in you, there are no degrees of, I'm an 80% loving Christian. Watch out when you meet a Christian that's a 20% loving Christian. You're in trouble. Or Christians that just put batteries in and they're just at a 10% love level. <laughs> Watch out for those. Because you have some Christians that are 80% health nuts, 20% loving. They're concerned more about how clean your colon is than how clean their lives are. But then you have the other side that's still learning their 80% love and their 20% health. you got to give them time to increase that. Don't beat them up with your 80% health when they are 80% love. So when you meet loving Christians that don't know anything about health, show them the importance of health by your love. Don't show them the importance of Health without your love. Because there's nothing worse than a sour person. That's healthy. That means they're going to be sour for a long time. Healthy, sour people. Those are the healthy, sour people. We want to be healthy, loving people. Come on, say amen. We want people not just have clean colons, but say, you want to go to Thompsonville, those are some nice folk down there. I walked in, I didn't believe a thing that they believed, but they just embraced me and loved me. That's what Ricky was talking about today. They just love me because of who I, because I am God's child. They love me because, not because I look like them or because I dress like them or because I ate like them. They just love me. That's what changes a person. When you love them, when Christ can love somebody through you, that makes a difference in their lives. Not because their dress is the length you want it to be or they don't have on this or have on that because they eat this and don't eat that. you got to be able to hug somebody. That's why the Pharisees couldn't understand why is Jesus hanging out with people like that because that's who he came to save. When you only hang out with Adventists, you don't have any mission. Uh-oh, did I say that? Hang out with folk that don't believe like you do. Not to become like them, but to show them Christ. And when they take you to lunch and order stuff that you don't eat, don't turn up your nose. <sighs> what is that? Just witness to them. When I went to lunch with, I don't want to, Put their names of two people that I that are not Adventists, and I, and they ordered that whatever. They asked, um, you know, when the waitress came by and asked what we ordered, and I ordered, and it's funny they they listened to what I ordered and they ordered the same thing. Nothing. Hmm, that's different. <laughs> and then when they were leaving, they said, "I want to be more healthy." You know. Let them see the love of Christ in you first. 
This is what the Lord was talking about. Even the priests could not go in the temple the way they were living outside the temple. Look at Ruth and Boaz. The same thing when it came to Ruth, the Lord getting her prepared for a, a mate. He said to her, therefore, wash yourself and anoint yourself. Put on, there's those two words again, put on your what? Best garment. What is the message in the Old Testament that is transferred into the New Testament? When you come into Christ, don't put on your okay garment of goodness. Put on your what? Best garment. Be a best loving Christian. Man, you want to... Slow me down, Lord. You want to be able to hear people say, Wow, have you met Ramona? Man, that lady's always hugging somebody, loving somebody. I'm not trying to point out people, but you know. So what, what that church teaches must be making a difference in her life. Yeah, yeah. That's right. God didn't call us all to be like each other. He called us all to be like him. Now you find Peter, when Peter was in prison, the Lord said the same thing to Peter, Acts 12 and verse 8. Then the angel said to him, gird yourself. Notice all this is what we've got. Gird yourself, tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, there are those two words again, what? Say it together. Put on your garment and what? Follow me. There is something that God is saying to us, you've got to do that I'm not going to do for you. So many of us want God to change us. Lord, change me. No. I've already saved you. You better read your Bible. I ain't reading your Bible for you. You need to have a prayer life. I'm not going to pray for you. I'm not going to put away the things that you need to put away. There are things that God will never do that you must do, and there are things that you can't do that God alone can do. He saves us. We can't save ourselves but the change, I like the way Pastor Wentley Phipps said it. He says, Jesus paid it all, but he ain't going to do it all. Right? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And then when you're working it out, God steps in. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. God will do what he will do, but he's not going to do what he calls you to do. So the change that takes place on earth is done with our participation. And this is where baptism comes in. A lot of people get baptized and they don't understand, well, I'm a member now. Oh, if you're only a member, then you are not understanding what this change is all about. Paul talks about the change that happens. Let's start with baptism. Galatians 3, verse 27. For as many of us as were baptized into Christ have, there are those two words again. What do they say together? Have put on Christ. Why do we put on Christ? Because up until that point, we were covered by Adam. Caution, family members. Don't get mad at family members that are not Christian. Don't say to them, you should know better. No, they don't know better because they're living in Adam. Don't try to get non-Christians to do right because they can't. But here's the sad part. If you're a Christian and you don't do right, you need a checkup from the neck up. Because as a man thinketh, so is he. If you're not flooding your mind with things that are forcing you to think differently, then you will not think differently. If you're not flooding your mind and exposing your life to Bible stories and Bible reading that challenges your life, 
You want to see a change? Read your Bible. Can anybody say amen? amen? Sit down with a book that's not like you, and you'll become like it. <laughs> we are not to change the Bible. The Bible is to change us. My wife and I got into a heated spiritual debate reading our Bibles. It was nice. We're both getting angry. You know, we get, we, we, we're passionate. And we were reading Ezekiel chapter 27 and 28 and 29. And, you know, we had talked about Lucifer was perfect in the day he was created till iniquity was found in him. And she said, where is sin? Where did sin come from? And we spent like 40 minutes on that, arguing back and forth. I said it came within him. And Ellen White settled the argument. She says, the origin of evil is a mystery. No one can explain where it came from. But the condition of Satan was his choice. Lucifer. And she talked about the gradual fall of Lucifer. Bringing out that there was a point where he still had an opportunity to repent and be restored to his rightful place. But he continued in the wrong course, such is the case today. We've got to understand that there are certain points in our lives that God is saying, if you turn now, I could restore you. But if you keep on this course, I can't do anything for you. That's now. The turning in living is now. Don't expect to come out of the grave on resurrection morning. Say, which resurrection is this? <laughs> I'm not sure. Well, let me ask. Uh, is that Hitler? What's the second resurrection? Now, I'm not... We all say Hitler's going to be lost. I don't know, but, you know, there's a high probability that God kicks it. Anyway, let's not go down that road. But, but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I want to come out and see some pretty people in the resurrection. Come on, say amen. Ah, mama. Look righteous. I come out and see people missing teeth and cussing at each other in the second resurrection and say, oh, why did I come out in this one? I don't want that. Come on, somebody, help me out. If I die before the Lord comes, I want to be in the first. Anybody else, can I get a hand? I want to be in the first. But you're not going to be in the first if you don't deal with yourself. We are good dealing with other folk. We are bad at dealing with ourselves. Start looking at yourself. Let's try that out. Turn to your neighbor and say, look at yourself. Go ahead. Tell Curtis, Dara, look at yourself. Isn't that a trip? Mind your own business. <laughs> now, don't tell anybody that because, you know, start arguing in church. But Paul made it clear, you got to first start with baptism. Drown that old man. Keep him under. You ain't coming out on the other side of this water. Amen, somebody. That's why Paul says in Romans 13, verse 14, put on, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. What is he saying? As long as you have this Adam body, it's going to say, Bob, remember, 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 Bob, remember, Bob, ha, ha, remember, Bob. You got to say, shut up. Stop bargaining, Bob. Come on, Bob. We hung out a long time together. Remember, Bob? So that sign we just passed by, Bob, remember those days? They're behind me. 
Amen, Bob. That flesh would try to pull you back. Anybody know what I'm talking about? That's why Paul makes it clear, Roman, Ephesians 6, 11. He knew. There are those words again. They're that afraid again. Together, put on. What? The whole armor of God that you may be able to what? Stand against the wiles of the devil. Put on. The putting on is a willingness on our part to reveal Christ. He will not be revealed in us until we are covered with him. And how would anybody know whether or not you're covered? I like what Oswald Chambers says in the book, My Utmost First Highest, December 30th, which I read this week. Our Lord never patches up our natural virtues. That is, our natural traits, qualities, or characteristics. He completely remakes a person on the where? Inside. And he says what? Put on the new man. He's quoting Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24. Put on the new man, which was created according to God, in what? True righteousness and holiness. That's when, you, that's when you see yourself leaning too far one way and you say, back, 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 back. You're going too far, back, back, back. That's why I put that background. The quest is I want to get off of this planet and see what all those dots are all about. Amen. Hey, right, Ricky? Man, can you imagine? If, that's, if, if all of those dots represent another galaxy where folk live? I've been, I've been around the planet. I haven't seen any place on this planet, Joe, that I want to leave out and accept over heaven. One day that's going to be our playground. <laughs> Delayed gratification, the quest. That's where I want to head out. But you got to put on the new man now, which was created according to God, not according to Adam. It was created according to God. God did that in the garden. Adam lost it. Jesus came back and restored it. And Paul says, now this restored relationship, you got to put it on. Put it on. One of my favorite writers, the book called um, Victorious, Victorious Living. Uh, it's a book that I want to introduce to you guys this new year coming up. The Life of Victory, Mead McGuire. He brings out an illustration where he says, can we live in the ocean? How which one of you could live in the ocean? Raise your hand. You missed an opportunity to raise your hand. Can we live in the ocean? I'll tell you how. As long as you get your source of life from above, you can. Tell a deep sea diver you can't live in the ocean. You can. You can live in the ocean as long as your source of life comes from above. We could live in an unnatural environment as long as our source is spiritual. It's not natural to be a kind person. It's spiritual. If you are a kind person trying to love people, you are walking in what we call the display of your best natural self. I don't want to put forth my best natural self. I want to put forth Jesus' best. He goes on to explain this. It's beautiful. And some of you I've talked about reading this book. It's, every year I read it, every year it's like the, Ron is like the steps to Christ, 
but as a non-Adventist author, but nothing he says is against what we believe. I was amazed. I'm thinking God spoke to this man so beautifully. But listen to what he says. The life God places within us develops its own new virtues. Not the virtues of the seed of Adam, but of Jesus Christ. Once God has begun the process of what? Sanctification in your life. I love this. Watch and see how God causes your confidence in your own natural virtues and power to wither away. When you realize what God is doing, you say, I can't trust myself because myself can never accomplish what God alone through Jesus Christ can accomplish in me. He says, when we're being changed, we lose confidence in ourselves and put all our confidence in God. That's what we need for this new year. If you're not there yet, and make this point. Let me make this point. None of us is all the way there yet. But you need to be on your way. All right? You need to be on your way. Don't be waiting around for the next bus like that guy who was in the flood. You heard that story, guy in the flood. Water's arising. Somebody comes by in a car and says, water's going to be rising soon. You need to get out of here. And ah, I'm waiting for God to deliver me. Water's rising. Somebody comes by in a rubber dinky. And, mm, hey, the water's rising. We can't drive through here any longer. You need to get in my rubber. I'm waiting for God to deliver me. Water gets so high, a helicopter comes by. You need to get on board, take the rope. I'm waiting for God to deliver me. He drowns. God been trying to change his life over and over. And to some of us, we've already excused the vehicle. Some of us have said no to the rubber dinky. I'm fearful that you may so say no to the helicopter. God tries over and over to change our lives. When you allow the Lord to change your life, you will understand that the Apostle Paul is what he's describing is this, this change that comes when we decide that we need to die to ourselves. Look at Colossians 3.3. He brings it out. And this is what he means. Colossians 3.3, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When you die, you have a source now that is beyond a human nature. You've got a source that is divine. When you die, when Adam's nature in you is put to death, you died. You did what? You died. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. You died. That Adam nature died. So where are you going to get your life from? You died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. This is not talking about some spirit that floated away and hanging out in heaven. No, it's talking about the natural man been put to death and the only source of his life is Jesus Christ himself. That's why Paul says in Romans 6 verse 7, for he who has died has been what? Freed from sin. So this quest is a quest to enter into a life that says, while I'm down here, I'm really up there. Why would Paul say, set your affections on things above? Because while you're down here, you're really up there. You're just waiting for the plane to come and take you home. You're just waiting for the final transport out. 
You're just waiting for Jesus to say, time to go home. Your mind has been on this place for so long, time to go home. Abraham, what did the Bible say of Abraham? He looked for a city which had foundations whose builder and maker is what? God. He longs so much for that, one day he's going to see that by sight. That's why God took Enoch. Enoch walked with God and was not. Enoch was on earth, but he was so heavenly minded, God said, we need more people like this. And God took him. But I love the way Ellen White talks about this. But before we go, look what Paul says. That, that quest for life has to come when we come to a reckoning. We got to come to a point, okay, what am I doing? So Paul says in Romans 6, verse 11, likewise, if you want this life, likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to what? Sin. You got to lay it down. Either you lay down sin or sin is going to lay you down. There's no third category. When you lay down sin, you are alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. When we lay down the things that are fighting with us, we will recognize that Jesus is the only one that can fight for us. In the book Acts of the Apostles, Servant of the Lord brings us home so sharply. Page 476, paragraph 3. Listen carefully. He who has determined to enter the spiritual kingdom will find that all the powers and passions of unregenerate nature backed by the forces of the kingdom of darkness are arrayed against him. Does anybody know what that means? When you enter into that, when you enter into that kingdom of light, hell opens its doors and say, get them. Each day, he must renew his consecration. How frequently, Ron? Every day. Each day, do battle with what? Evil. How? Old habits. Hereditary tendencies. You got things that your parents did and you, you inherited that stuff. Your mama was loud, you're loud. Your dad cussed, you cuss. Your aunt was a, you know, hereditary means you got some bad habit from your family and you say, well, this is how my mom was. You can't be that way. You can't be like your mom and dad if you want to be a Christian. You got to put that down. It's called hereditary. You don't have to cultivate those things that you inherit. Hereditary tendencies to wrong will strive for the mastery. And against these, he who's he is to be ever on guard, striving in Christ's strength for what? Victory. Victory. Amen. Amen. When you see your dad's bad attitude springing up in you, you say, oh, nine. Because too many of us say, what do you expect? I'm my dad's son. Which dad? You claim to be a son of God, but you're showing a, your earthly father's behavior. Because too often Christians say, what do you expect? Look at my family. Which family? So now the Apostle Paul pulls it together. You ready for it? Here we go. Colossians 3, verse 4 to 10. He brings this out, and I, wanna, I want you to notice, put on, put on, put on, put on. It's all through this. 
When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear, how? With him in glory. Therefore, say it together, put to death your members which are on the earth. Not kill the church members, but your members, your mind, your hand, your voice, your tongue, your attitude. Kill it. Your members which are on the earth. Look at them. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is what? Idolatry. In verse 6, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves, oh, I love this, once walked when you lived in them. Here we go, my brethren. But now, come on, say that word. But now, you yourselves are to put off all these. Here they are. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Since you have, there it is again, put off the what? Old man with his deeds. And have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Isn't that clear? Get rid of that junk and let Jesus be seen. So this was the divine frustration. This was the divine frustration that is expressed in the story of the gardener. Look at Luke chapter 13 and verse 7. Then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, Look, for three years I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? How many years has Christ been looking for himself to be manifested in you and he still hasn't found it? And you go from year to year saying, What do you expect? I'm, I'm, I'm only human. I used to love that song, but I despise its phrase, I'm only human. I'm just a man. You become a partaker of a divine nature. Don't lean on hu your humanity to excuse your behavior. We are not only human. We partake of a divine nature. If you partake of a divine nature, you must understand that there is something that God requires of you. The same thing that Satan wants to do to us is what he did to the Israelites. God tried so much to change the Jews. And here's what Isaiah the prophet said about them. Isaiah 5 and verse 4. When he looked at the recalcitrance of Israel, here's what he said. What more could have been done by, what more could have been done by my, to my vineyard? What more could have been done that I have done in it? What more could have been done? Why then, when I expected it to bring forth good grapes, did it bring forth what? Wild grapes. God is saying, you wild Seventh-day Adventists, get it together. Don't just brag about your beliefs. Let the Lord brag about your life. Let him say, have you considered my servant, Jay? Have you considered my servant and your name there? Yeah. Because Satan is seeking to do to us what he did to the Israelites. When Jesus in his earthly life tried to draw these people that he had given so much to for thousands of years... His frustration was expressed when he looked at the condition of their lives in Matthew 
23, verse 37 to 38. He said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But here's the divine frustration. But you were not willing. But you were not willing. Pray, Lord, make me willing to be willing. And the sad statement, I don't want this to be said of any of you. See, your house has left to you what? Desolate. Oswald Chambers says, once again, December 30th, my utmost for his highest, he said, it is the saddest thing to see people who are trying to serve God depending on that which the grace of God never gave them. They are depending solely on what they have by virtue of heredity. I'll be as nice as my family members have been. I'll be as nice as my mom and dad. God does not take our natural virtues and transform them because our natural virtues, virtues can never even come close to what Jesus Christ wants. No natural love, no natural patience, no natural purity can ever come up to his demands. Isn't that amazing? Don't try to be naturally nice because there's no such thing. There's no such thing. So consider the love of Christ in this, verse 8 of Luke chapter 13. But he answered and said to him, Sir, I love the way this story ends. Let it alone this year also. God loves us so much, he's saying, maybe I could change them in 2023. Maybe. Let it alone this year also. And I'll get, more, I'll get busy. I'm going to dig around it and fertilize it. What does he mean, dig around it? I will clear the distractions that interfere with their growth. I'm going to interrupt their lives. I'm going to bring havoc into their homes. Amen. Sometimes the presence of havoc is God's voice saying, get your life together. Some of the things that are happening that brings conflict in our homes is we are on, the, on different pages. One, want to be more like the world. The other one, want to be more like Jesus. And there's this conflict that Jesus says, I did not come to bring peace but a sword to set father against daughter, son against dad. You know, the whole conflict. Because this conflict, he is saying, somebody is not right here. I'm going to dig around it. I'm going to remove the natural traits that deny my presence. I'm going to confiscate the things that choke that spiritual nutrition. I'm going to fertilize it. I'm going to so impose upon him the voice of the Spirit of God. God's Spirit was striving in the days of Noah, but he said, my spirit will not always strive. That's what fertilize means. I'm going to work on that person intensely through the Holy Spirit. You know what that says to me? God loves us so much, he doesn't want any of us to be lost. So he's going he's gonna to fertilize it. You know how he's going to fertilize it? And you, you guys think I'm just inviting you to studies on Wednesday night. Fertilization. Fertilize. Can you find your Bible and bring it with you on Wednesday? Can you put it by the front door and put a note on it? Departure, 615. Get a church, 630. Start fertilizing your life for 2023. Because a plant that's not fertilized will die. You think that a Christian that's not fertilized is going to live? Then you have been debunked. You have been hoodwinked into, 
into thinking that the paraphernalia is good enough for you. So Oswald finishes here. December 30th. But as we bring every part of our natural bodily life into harmony with the new life God has placed within us, he will exhibit in us the virtues that were characteristics of the Lord Jesus. Say amen, somebody. And every virtue we possess is his alone. God is good to us. So I want to invite Jenny to come up. You see, a friend, the most valuable lesson I learned when I was reading about the California gold rush, you get the message, Jesus wants us to not go after fool's gold that's temporary that we keep digging for, trying to find some satisfaction. You're not going to find joy in the things of this life. One of the most amazing stories I learned about the gold rush of California was this. I want you to hear me. Here it is. The things of the greatest value will never be found in surface living. The things of the greatest value don't exist on the surface. The devil has put so much on the surface because he doesn't want you to dig. If you dig, you're going to find it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? If you don't think that's true, start digging. Start digging. Yeah, the Bible's like hard ground. Why is it hard? Because your nature is hard. But the more you dig, the softer the Bible gets. Amen. Right, Donna? The more you spend time in it, the softer it gets. Right, Sister Zita? When you read God's Word, it, it, it's something you want to go. That's why my wife and I, we read in our pajamas, bad breath and everything, we read in our Bible. Don't look like a nothing. But we're reading our Bibles. And it makes a difference in our day. Things of great value don't exist on the surface. I like the way that Lev Grossman said about the quest. He said, he who completes a quest does not merely find something. He becomes something. All that glitters is not gold. But one day Christ is going to reveal through those who daily are transformed one day Christ is going to reveal all of those who have become jewels in his kingdom. He's going to say to the unfallen worlds, hey, I mind them from the earth. I want the Lord to mind me, pull me out of the ground, cover me with his character. And then one day, in the words of Zechariah the prophet, these words will be said of us. The Lord their God will save them in that day as the flock of his people, for they shall be like the jewels of a crown, lifted like a banner over his land. What's in essence saying? One day, Ricky, God's going to hold us up and say, see what I did in their lives? Do you want that church, church today? Does anybody want that? If that's your desire today, would you stand with me? What's our closing song? Live out thy life within me. Those of you that are watching, those of you that are joining us, have, maybe you've joined us for the first time. Remember, Thompsonville, tvsdac.org. Our prayer for you is that for 2023, you will find in God's word a wealth, a power, and transforming grace. The Spirit of God speaking to your life, digging out the old, 
making room for the new, getting out the wood and stone and finding the gold as you spend time in his word. Isn't that your desire? Yeah, get your Bible out, dust it off. You might think, wow, it's a lot to read. No, it just goes by quickly when you fall in love with it. Right, honey? When you start reading God's Word and you start highlighting it, and all of a sudden you realize when you say, well, I'm going to read one chapter. We did that. We tried that. We couldn't do it. We couldn't do it. We couldn't just read one chapter, Caesar. We had to go to the next one because the first one was so good. You know what the Bible does? It hooks you. You read the end of the chapter and you say, oh, Nancy, I want to find out what happened. Okay, let's read the next chapter. And then you get to the end of the next chapter and you say, oh, we got to read the next chapter. You think movies are good. Start reading the Bible. Amen, somebody. You ever watched a movie and had a disappointing ending? I hate the way it ended. The Bible always ends good. Can the church say amen? <laughs> Jesus wins, and he wants to win with, with us on his side. You want that life to be lived out within you? You got to do it. God's not going to do it for you. And you ignore. If you ignore the pleading of God, you're going to come up to that day and say, which resurrection is this? Don't let that be said of you. Determine to listen to the voice of the Spirit of God. Weed out the things that interrupt your spiritual growth. It may, be, may seem hard, but you'll discover how much you really don't need and how much of Jesus you really can't do without. Let's sing this song together and make this song your prayer today. First verse and second verse. step into 2023 determined determined I will be in God's kingdom he has done his part it's time for me to participate with Christ in getting me ready for that robe that crown that new neighborhood that new kingdom that new life that eternal joy that great victory so one day he can lift us above his head and say these are they 
that I've redeemed. Father, how have I done? My blood. And right now, while the angels wonder whether or not we are going to be safe in that kingdom, I can hear the words of Jesus. I'm not done yet. This year also. Amen. Father in heaven, how many years have you given us? How many years have you said, are you going to be different this year? How many resolutions have we made only to fail? And yet you've paid the ultimate price, not of a membership, but a fellowship. You paid the price of suffering and death. You paid the price with your own blood, your own broken body. That one day we will be able to have fellowship in the unfallen realm of a sinless neighborhood, a universe where there's no spot or stain of sin, where love is the supreme law, where God's commandments are not seen as against us, but a beautiful reflection of the peace and harmony that reigns throughout the kingdom of God. Lord, you've been working in us, but now, Father, may we participate in that work. May we examine our lives in the corners, in the closets of our existence. May we examine our lives in the parts of our brain that still feel uncomfortable with holy things. May we look at ourselves and say, mm, no, not that. I want to be like Jesus. None of us knows the time of our last breath. And we have seen that life is so uncertain, yet eternity is something that you've given to us. May we now embrace it and begin to develop that life. That will be a glory. As we work it out, you work it in. As you've begun it and we participate with you, you will complete it. And one day we will see you like you are, for we will be like you. So send us forth in the last hours of 2022 into the bright and glorious days of 2023. And may your life in us be seen in a world that needs to know that Jesus is able. This is our prayer, not only for Thompsonville, but for those who are watching and those who are listening. May that be the joy in their lives too. And one day we'll meet in the kingdom, every one of us looking like Jesus. What a day of rejoicing that will be. And this is our prayer. In Jesus' name, we pray. And all of God's people said, amen and amen.